Alright, um, hi guys and welcome back to this channel. My name is Susan Silentoy. As you know, the aim of this channel is to offer information about how government works and how systems are set up as well so that we know what our role is in improving the governance in our country and through this, we can create a politically empowered generation. Alright, so today's episode, we actually have a guest um, and our guest's name is Irungu. <laughs> the other name is Had, but he'll tell us and we'll also write it in the description box <laughs> if you want to look at it. <laughs> um, so Mr. Irungu is actually, um, he describes himself as an activist um, and he's worked for 30 years in the NGO space as well. And an interesting fact about him, by the way, <laughs> is that he was a meme at some point and we will show you what that meme is. So you may recognize him from that that meme, <laughs> but also from his 30 years of uh, of experience in the NGO space. So welcome to the show, Mr. Irungu. <laughs> thank you so much, Zan. And first, let me just say, I, I love the podcast. I love the show. Keep it up. Oh, thank you. I have not said this to you, but actually I do have it that you are a leader of tomorrow today. Oh, nice. Right, if I can that way. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm sure many of your viewers are also um, very much convicted around the idea of active citizenship. So just in terms of my identity, my, so my, my name is Irungo Houghton. Houghton, yes, that's the name. not that difficult, unless you are Wangare Madai, who used to call me Hannington. Hannington. And Houston. And you would do this regularly just to annoy me, you know? Oh. But in terms of my identity, yeah. um, yes, I've been a meme. I've also been a director of a number of international organizations, 30 years. I've received war awards from the African Union and various other things. But I think the most important thing for me now is really an activist. Um, uh, that, that's the label that I like. Yeah. Um, and I hope we can talk a bit more about activism. Oh, absolutely. In fact, let's get right into it. Uh -huh. um, you know, I think uh, a lot of us um, think of, and I think we've said this just now, like we, when we, when we think of activism, we think of Boniface Mwangi. Um, but like, how would you describe activism in your own um, definition? Like, yeah. what do you think activism is? So, so first of all, you said something a bit which I think we should repeat on, on air, which is like, you know, Boniface is a verb, you know, uh, synonymous <laughs> with activism, yes. right? So I think that's great. <laughs> no, when I, wrote, when I started writing the book, the yeah. concept of activism was, was contested. It was controversial, mm -hmm. right? So you either thought it was a badge of honor or you thought it was a troublemaker, yeah. right? And yeah. five years, you know, you know, since then and really writing the book, I've really explored what it means to be an activist. And essentially what it means is, is like the Rotarians say, serving higher than self. Yeah. Uh, having a passion for something that's in the public interest. Mm. Um, and that's why in this book, slightly controversially, what I've done yeah. is I've put a... Uh, Secretary General of a medical union mm. uh, like uh, Dr. Oma Uluga next to Paul Paula Kahumbu, an environmental conservationist, or mm. Boniface Mwangi, mm. um, or even for that matter, the First Lady, mm. Margaret Kenyatta, because mm. in many ways she and a lot of people that I've met over the last five years, for me, are activists. Yeah. They wouldn't call themselves activists. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you stand for um, freedom from forced evictions, when you stand for, um, you know, uh, against uh, medical negligence in our hospitals or the fact that, you know, our hospitals continue to detain people mm -hmm. after they uh, are better just so that they can recoup money from them. Yeah. When you stand against any of these things, um, or even, for example, if you stand against land grabbing in, in public schools, mm -hmm. you know, and I did, you know, I worked for three years, really ensuring that schools had title deeds. Yeah. Um, and that program is still running, uh, now led by the Ministry of Lands and uh, the National Lands Commission and Shuleango. When you stand for those things, yeah. you are ultimately an activist. An activist. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's interesting you brought that up. First of all, you mentioned uh, the book and the book that he's making reference to is... Uh, 
uh, dialogue and dissent and we'll link it in the description box if you want to check it out uh, if you want to buy it it's, it's available as well so we're going to give you a description of how to find it um, you've mentioned in the book that you've talked about quite a number of people and it's synonymous how you've said that some people would de- describe activism as being a troublemaker mm-hmm. um, and I think that term like puts off a lot of people uh, especially young people who are a majority of who is watching us uh, it puts off a lot of people from trying to participate because then it labels you as a troublemaker like what do you have to say about that and has that troublemaker um, connotation just come up now or if we look at the history of activism is it has it been consistent i mean you can't be you can't avoid being labeled now right i mean either yeah. you know you're you're apathetic you are um, walking as you know you're the walking dead or walking asleep um, <laughs> You know, or you are an activist, right? So yeah. um, I think labeling is not the thing we should fear. Yeah. It's which label. Yeah. You know, like what would be the sum total of your life's work? Yes. Would it be that, you know, you simply, um, you know, went to university or you went to college or you studied, you got a job, you bought a house, you bought a car and then you died, mm. you know? Or would <laughs> it be that you've left an impact on, you know, millions of people? And mm. I think that's really the higher calling that those of us who call ourselves activists you know would would kind of aim for mm. ultimately and it doesn't have to be a lot of you know it doesn't have to be a huge impact mm. I mean, literally you know some people some of us we aspire to have national impact yeah others have uh, an inspiration around our families and our, our communities mm. um, certain ethnic groups for example or even if you're passionate about people with disabilities that you yeah. leave a difference for that community mm. and I think that's for me what activism is really about you yeah know? Um, and again I you know if, if I'm going to be labeled and we're all going to be labeled because yeah. there's this thing called the <laughs> obituary right yes uh, when we die hopefully there's somebody who stands there and reads our life's work uh-huh. and if all they can say is like you were born you grew up you earned a bit of money you bought a house you had kids and then you died yeah um, not that that's a bad thing mm. but I think we can aspire for more as human beings I never believe that we we come to this earth to simply serve ourselves mm-hmm. you know ultimately mm. we are social beings we are beings that are you know are who we are because of others yeah right and yeah. um if that doesn't convince you then mm. the question is if you see all the things that are happening in this country at the yeah. moment, you know whether it be the recession or the pandemic or um the levels of corruption and impunity or the levels of inequalities um i would you know really be asking myself you know what am i doing to make sure that my children um or my neighbor's children have a better life experience than i did mm, I right? see. if you are disillusioned <laughs> cynical fatalistic about this country yeah then my request to you is you know give up the complaint mm. get committed to something and just take actions true true i mean that's very um it it, it uh, resonates with me quite a bit um that's why i started by telling you <laughs> who, who you are for me right yeah <laughs> and i mean it's interesting that you say this like right. i i would be very curious to know like okay so how did you like why did you get into activism and and how did you get into activism yeah. i mean actually first thing i you know as i realized is that activism is, is all around us mm-hmm. right and you think hard about you know your family your parents their parents the communities in which they lived you know it's it's probably very likely that um around them where things work yeah where things worked um they were activists making them work yeah and just give an example so i grew up in a, uh, a biracial home or an interracial home my okay. mother was um, from nyeri mm-hmm. 
and she was she worked for KBC in okay. those days. She was also a beautician, and um, she came down from Nyeri to work at uh, KBC, and she met this young uh, publisher from Britain. He was white British Anglo-Saxon. He had never met black people before he got posted out to Kenya. Mm -hmm. So he met a lot of black people all at once. And one of them kind of tugged at his heart and they got married. And then I was produced. Mm. My father, you know, a white man um, at the age of 12 once told me that, you know, there is no way that I can protect you against racism. Yeah. I've never experienced it. I have no tools to be able to coach you on. But what he did was he brought me a set of uh, civil rights literature. Mm -hmm. So I had read Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, um, The Solidad Brother, Eldridge Cleaver, um, a whole range of materials. And I grew up listening to Nina Simone. Oh, nice. and um, a host of other African-American singers who he loved. And what he said was that I can only give you access to people who know how to deal with racism yeah. and leave you to get on with it, you know? And um, that's what he did for mm. me, you know? He provided that for me. Now, if you ask me, when's the point in my life where I began to feel that I have to do something? It's in the book. It's at the age of 14. Oh, nice. And I'm a secondary school student and I was waiting at a bus stop catching a bus to go to school and we I was the 10th person in the in the queue and as I was waiting of course it's like morning and I was probably very sleepy and grumpy and whatever because I had to go to school um, a woman walked past another woman who was at the front of the queue mm. stopped came back and began to pull out her hair like almost like hair by hair by hair Right, to le this woman had actually fallen to the ground, mm. and all around her were literally hair and hair roots. You know, she literally did this. She must have done this for like about, I mean, it seems like ages now, but she must have done it for at least three or four minutes. And nobody in the queue stood up for her, oh, nobody wow. stood, stood up and said anything. Everybody looked the other way. It was like we just didn't see it happen, mm. right? And I was mm. at the back of this uh, queue, I was 14, I watched the whole thing. What was most embarrassing and shameful for me, and I do feel a sense of shame even now as I tell the story, mm. was not that everybody else didn't do anything, but I didn't take any action. Mm. Right Now that experience of a 14-year-old being paralyzed in the face of injustice yeah. has really lived with me ever since. So you've, you've talked about uh, writing this book, Dialogue mm. and Descent. Um, I just want to know, like, what was your motivation behind writing the book? Mm. Um, what, what inspired you to do this? I guess there were two things. One was, uh, I mean, a very immediate thing was um, mm. standing up in a meeting um, and talking about a friend of mine who had died, um, a very good friend of mine who wrote a lot. And uh, somebody stood up at the back and said, Irungu, you know, you are now one of the elders. Um, stop writing 140 character tweets and write a book. <laughs> and I looked at him and I accepted the challenge. Yeah. So actually the book is also dedicated to him. Oh, nice. You, in the book, like you've talked about a couple of people that you've mm. mentioned. You've talked about, um, I mean, you've mentioned John Alan Namu. Yeah. You've mentioned Rachel Mukali, who I, who I know from Madari. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you've also talked about Boniface Mwangi. Um, what made you think of these characters when you were writing this book? Or what? why did you have them here? And so, so back in 2016, you know, many of the nine individuals that I kind of go into a bit of detail with, they weren't really that well known. And what I wanted to do was to actually describe their journeys. Like, you know, what... 
what is the making of an activist? Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly, they, you know, they work on a whole range of different issues from wildlife protection to um, anti-corruption work to, um, you know, uh, health workers and their welfare and um, even, you know, uh, philanthropic um, cookouts or what do you call it? I guess soup kitchens mm. for uh, the homeless, you know? Um, so people like Clifford, Clifford oh, nice. uh, Allwatch and uh, Homeless of Nairobi, they're also in the book, you know? Oh, nice. Um, and Rachel, of course, is just wonderful. She, she's, uh, she rises every morning and she just is committed to Madare and making sure that that is a neighborhood that has safety and dignity uh, for everybody. Um, so really, that period was really trying to understand the different journeys of activists. And mm. what, how do they get to that point? And then at that time, there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of consideration and questions I used to get about fear. Yeah. Right. Um, and if you remember, you know, Boniface at one point did this uh, mock funeral um, or mock um, uh, death. Um, and uh, he was just trying to break through the idea that we should be frightened. But it was important that people understand that uh, activism, that being frightened is part of being act- an activist. Mm. But that actually the only fear that you should fear is the fear. Yes. Right? Um, <laughs> so I asked people like John Allen Nammu, you know, when you're doing investigative journalism, you know, how do you deal with the issue of fear? Mm. And what came back was just really wonderful set of reflections around how do you manage fear? Mm. You know, and uh, one of my, you know, my heroes from the book is um, Eric Itari. Mm. And Eric is a lawyer. He's also a gay man and he's publicly gay mm. and um, has done probably as much as anybody really to give us an insight into what it means to be, to have a sexual that is unacceptable by the majority of society. Mm. And if I can just tell a little bit of that story, you know, Eric, um, and, I was, and I just felt privileged to, to hear him tell the story about how his greatest fear as a gay man was not really what the world thought. And there was, there was a degree of fear, but yeah. it was really about his grandmother. You know, Ooh. and being accepted by his grandmother, and I won't spoil the the story. Yeah. But he just he just come out and talk to his grandmother about being gay, and he got the shock of his life. Oh, nice! The shock of his life. That is very interesting. Yeah. I mean, it sounds it sounds quite rich, to be quite frank with you. It's 150 uh, word, uh, for 50 pages. So oh, nice. It won't take you very long. It's very simply written. <laughs> uh, much as my back, much of my background is policy. Oh, um, nice. Okay. So I, I had to have an editor keep telling me. Uh, I told it's the too editor, complex. Yeah, just, just just don't go into those madabus. Just talk seriously <laughs> about people stories. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's really a story about people. Oh, nice. Yeah. And and I think it it sounds almost like, of course, it's giving experiences of people in their right. different spaces doing different things. Uh, but it sounds almost like a little bit of a guide in terms yeah. of okay, so this is how this person did this, and this is how. And I guess most of us can plug in to those stories and see how we fit in to be more active as as citizens and th- and that's even why we do this anyway because we're trying to have an active citizenry a, a politically empowered generation like we keep saying all right so that sounds very interesting i i mean i, I can't leave you without talking to you about the constitution i mean sure. we are the book is talking about our, con- uh, our constitution in such of a country <laughs> and right now obviously we're looking at constitutional amendments and i don't know what your view is on this whole process yeah, yeah. so i think you know the kind of three things that are present I'm present at the moment one is what a struggle it was to get one of the best constitutions in the world mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and this book talks about that it's a it's kind of constitution 4.0 yeah so there are four generations of constitutions across africa and uh, kenya has really generated probably one of the best constitutions i mean i don't think it's i mean maybe only south africa comes close to it but i think mm. even 
in terms of our Bill of Rights and in terms of the Chapter 4, the uh, Integrity and Leadership um, section, and maybe even the land section, we really have done very well. Mm. The second thing really is is how important it is to create a culture that enforces the Constitution. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I was once told two years ago, he katiba ni kama kalenda. We had one in 2010, now we have another one and so on. And I, I think it's really important to say that, you know, books and laws and constitutions do not exist in a vacuum they have to have a culture of constitutionalism mm. and enforcement is really critical mm -hmm. so this is really a book about the enforcers you know the constitutionalists the people who rose to protect the constitution and it's not just the nine people it's it's really the paramedic for example brian odiambo who um chose to drive alex madaga the late alex madaga for 18 hours to keep him alive in a ambulance rather than have him uh, rejected in a hospital because he didn't have a title deed or he mm. didn't have a logbook mm. um it's about him it's about you know, journalists who keep telling the truth, even mm. when, you know, as Kenyans, we don't rise vigorously enough to stop the corruption. Yeah. It's a story about uh, school teachers, you know, who um, protected uh, land that in many ways was five, maybe a thousand times their salary. Mm. So the children would have playgrounds for generations to come. Mm. And it's a story about that as well, you know. Um, but I think the BBI process, to come specifically to this, is um, really a conversation around, you know, is the, was this a people-driven process mm. or was it an elite-driven process? Mm. And I think, you know, for me personally, um, you know, it was driven essentially by an elite consensus that was generated around two things. Mm -hmm. One was how do we stop the violence and the hemorrhage around our elections, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's a legitimate concern. Mm. Um, and what do you do with the runner-up president, you know, who is extremely powerful, has invested a lot in running for the uh, presidential campaigns, has a sizable population that support them, and could we find a space for them as leader of the opposition? Mm. That's a legitimate concern. Yeah. Um, the second uh, concern, uh, second uh, impetus really, I think has been less convincing for me. The idea that you need to have five deputy prime ministers, the idea that we need to uh, arbitrarily change constituencies. And more importantly, I think has what has been a major concern to us is how this process has been manipulated essentially to provide enough goodies so that certain things will pass and mm. therefore you know i supported the Supre uh, the, Supre the decision by the high court recently i see um i do support the right of the president and the former prime minister to go to the appeal court yeah um and for them to exercise um you know their rights within a legal process yeah um without victimizing the judiciary and i mm. think that's the nature of our democratic process mm -hmm. um i will meet the bbi process when it is placed in a referendum question yeah personally <laughs> and i hope everybody that's watching this will do the same okay okay uh yes you've had him if it comes to the referendum we have to go and vote imagine but here we don't tell you whether to vote yes or no we inform you to make that choice for yourself so so we i mean i appreciate your views uh in terms of looking at how the constitution is is being changed and i think it's a good uh, period for us as kenyans even to just critically look at uh, a process um as a process as opposed to it being a tribal thing or just just what, what is this thing saying <laughs> how will it affect us you know just really just look is at it, it like that yeah. is it important is it necessary um and so i think i'd see this as a learning point uh for kenyans it just in general 
Um, so lastly, we've, we've come to almost the end of this uh, session. Um, and I think maybe I would like you to speak to a young Kenyan out there who probably looks at the country and is like, I don't know what to do. Uh, and is trying to do something. Like, how would you advise them to go about it? So, so I would I would start by just reminding people that you know my road to Damascus moment was when I was 14, mm-hmm. right? Uh, everybody has been 14 once, yeah, um, and everybody could be 14 every day in their lives, mm-hmm. and that moment will come where, you know, either the injustice will find you um, or you will find it. Mm-hmm. It'll come into your space. It'll either be, you know, gender-based violence. It'll be either defilement of a child. It will be, um, um, you know, bylaws, building bylaws not being respected in your mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. Um, we could go on. I mean, there's, there's hundreds of different ways that you can be called to serve and to be great. Um, the question we have to ask ourselves is whether we want to be great yeah. or whether we just want to be average, mediocre citizen. Yeah. Right? That yeah. watches the country go uh, downwards um, rather than having this moment. And I, I do believe that in our lifetime, I mean, I've probably had about maybe 50 moments where I've been called to choose chaos or a country. Mm. Right, mm-hmm. and the action is not that complicated. Yeah, you know, it's not that complicated. Mm-hmm. One of the stories in the book is the story of Alex Madaga. Alex Madaga was a security guard. He was in his twenties, and I was in a conference and uh, opened up the newspaper. And um, in the front page of the newspaper was the story of uh, the security guard who had been kept in a you know in an ambulance for eighteen hours to keep yeah. him alive. And I didn't know what to do. Right, I didn't know what to do. I just knew that it was crazy. Like this is the capital city of Kenya. Um, we have at least 500 different hospitals that could have treated him. Mm-hmm. And he was rejected by three hospitals because he didn't have either health insurance or he didn't have uh, a title deed that he could put in front of them. Yeah. And I literally just went to, uh, to uh, Kenyatta National Hospital and I just went to his bedside and I tried to understand how could this be possible. Mm-hmm. And then I met his family. Then I met doctors and then came a campaign um, now, some of you may be listening and saying, but yeah, you were probably working for an NGO. So yeah. they allowed you to leave work. And work <laughs> thanks for, for passing by and thanks for gracing us with your presence. <laughs> uh, I mean, we really do appreciate your thoughts, especially around activism. I think it's a concept that's not very well understood. So the more we talk about it, probably, you know, the more we can get more people to participate actively in whatever role that fits them, for sure. Um, and I really like what you, you said about... Um, injustice will with either find you or you will find it and so at some point we have to take action um and so i think you guys this this episode uh will conclude with us just saying go buy the book and let's have conversations about it and see how else we can you know plug into the country because at the end of the day it's our country and there's nowhere else we're going like (laughs) We have to fix our own country. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for having us. I do have to mention, but guess the font is nice. Like seriously, you you won't struggle reading yeah. it. You don't have to look for glasses. <laughs> no. I <laughs> know uh, we are young here. Here we are. Young. We don't we don't look for that. <laughs> and there are pictures at the back also. Oh, and there are pictures. Yeah, even baby it, photos. Yeah, baby photos of yeah, Irungu guys. This this is I legit. Bear my, I bear my soul. <laughs> but yes. Um, 
we'll link it in the description box below if you'd like to look for this book um and thank you so much for coming um and uh, any last words no just do you uh, want to send you. salams to anyone to family and friends <laughs> and uh, no just to just say I'm, i'm so honored thank you very much for just inviting me on the show yeah um, and uh, keep watching and keep watching all the episodes um <laughs> so that's a plug and um yeah it's been a pleasure i mean it's it's been a great life so far and, yeah um i do look forward to the you know the next five years and maybe it'll produce another volume we hope so But actually more interesting maybe it will encourage people to write their own books yes because i think that's the thing that i find exciting about this yes yes absolutely um and just like you said make sure you like and subscribe um Uh, the, to this channel if you like this video please share it as well to a friend um if you want to find uh, mr irungu we can actually ta- like uh, put your twitter yeah twitter account irungu, are you at irungu houghton at irungu houghton okay I'm completely a digital native okay that's um, good are you on I, instagram I yes i am uh, the one that i struggle with is tiktok <laughs> it's tiktok okay uh, we, we are all struggling we like all... struggle with it a bit. really it's a watch <laughs> So All right. <laughs> yes, so we'll, we'll uh we'll tag your uh Twitter handle and your Instagram handle if yep. you'd like to reach out to him. Yeah. And I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn and uh I can be found uh, in Amnesty so. In, Am- in Amnesty. Okay, okay. But we'll we'll definitely leave those if you would like to reach out to them. So, yes, this has been our episode. Please don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time. Bye.